0: Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Actually 11, 1 through 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later, he spoke through David as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Now, it's interesting that we start off this entire reading verse 1 and verse 11 with two exhortations. Let us do this. Let us do this. And and it's sort of like he's putting his arms around something that's really important. And notice the two exhortations, how they're worded. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So there is that exhortation of carefulness. And then verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will follow their example of disobedience. And it's an (coughs) exhortation to make every effort to enter that rest. And We're going to talk about those because they're really, really important. Um, This is all about a promise of entering into God's rest. This is a fascinating passage in Hebrews chapter 4. And he's going to talk about rest perhaps in two ways, maybe even a third. There's some people think there's a third where the, the idea of resting from your labors means that you, that you die. So in, in you, we've talked about people resting from their labors uh, when they die. But to re- think about rest and how important that is. Um, I worked out in the yard all day yesterday. Yesterday evening rest was so sweet. <laughs> and I'm sore today. I'm here to tell you. I got muscle I didn't know I had. And the weather's been so pretty this week, so maybe you've been out too. Um, but rest is important, isn't it? Uh, and and if what the writer is going to do is talk about this promise of rest that God gives. And there's a fascinating element of this rest that we enter into now. And I'm not sure everything he's trying to include because uh, every Christian author that I picked up to read about this, they have all their different ideas of what that present rest might include. But then there is a rest that remains for us. It's like it's in the distance and it's in the future. And it's that to which we're looking forward to. Um, There are lots of times when you look forward to rest. Uh, There are lots of times when they call it man. I can't wait to get done with it so I can just sit down and rest. So we've been there. We know what that's like. And I'm going to talk about the Christian life in such a way that the Sabbath rest that is for the future, not just here, but the rest he's talking about, becomes that for which we really look forward to. Okay? Now, this Sabbath rest for the people of God is a promise of entering his rest that still stands. And this is amazing since the promise of entering his rest still stands. Now, the writer knew by the Spirit that that promise of that rest was given earlier, and he's going to even sort of tap into Israel's history of entering into the rest, okay? Some didn't make it, and he's going to talk about that. But that promise still stands. And what he's going to sort of tap into again is this wonderful illustration where we think about Israel wandering in the wilderness and making it to the promised land. That they then rest from their wanderings, Okay? And what it took for Israel to get into the promised land. And the fact that, in that generation, how many made it to the promised land? Oh my. So that journey... It's going to be a difficult one. And not everyone that's on the journey is going to make it. I mean, he's real clear about it. So let's let's work down through here and see what he's saying. That promise still stands. From Hebrews 1, 4-1, the idea of promise figures in really strong. It's a strong idea working all the way through the book of uh, Hebrews. It's interesting if you if you have time in your reading of it, just underline all those places where God's promises are talked about and mentioned. Uh, the dependability and the certainty of God's promises are affirmed in 6.14. Listen to Hebrews 6.14. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So it's sort of like the writer is saying when God made that covenant promise to Abraham, God is like, OK, now there's no one greater to whom I can swear. So, Abraham, I am who I am. So you can trust my word. And here's the covenant. And God made that promise to him. You know what this brought up to my mind as I think about this part of the lesson? Years ago, when our girls were younger, uh, if we said we would do something and something came up and, and we couldn't do it, uh, they would come back with, a, with an anguish of a cry, but you promised, you know, you promised. And so from that point on, we had to learn something. We had to very clearly make a distinction that if we can, we'll do so and so. We're not promising. And so for even children, you know, a promise, you don't break a promise. But think why it's so important for us to believe that God's promise of that rest still stands. I mean, we sing the beautiful song in our hymn book, don't we? Standing on the promises of God. I'm here to tell you, there's nothing better to stand on. Promises of God. Uh, And I've often said this about the hymn, and the book of Hebrews will help a little bit with this. Think, Think of what it would be a neat exercise to do, to take a whiteboard, and we put up at the top, the promises of God that we're standing on, and we start identifying those. What are, see, the song doesn't list those promises. It just tells you that you're we, sure you can stand on them. But think about the content. What are those promises? I know a couple that are just really important for me that God promises an eternal home and a presence with Him. When we stay the journey and we make every effort. To stay the course. Okay? So that's very important. Also, when God promises, God promises to be faithful to the covenant relationship we have with Him and Jesus. Think about this. God was always faithful with Israel. God never went back on his covenant with Israel. Now, a different story with Israel, but not with God at all. One of the promises, God is faithful. You can always count on God. God always tells the truth. I mean, think of all those promises, uh, both present and future. See, the promises are present and future, that we enjoy some of those now, and we will enjoy some of those in the future. Now, the other thing here that he talks about is that that promise stands on, and I want to read the wording because it's really beautiful. Verse 2. For we also have heard, we've had the gospel preached or proclaimed to us, just as those did, just as they did. But the message they heard was no value to them because they, those who heard it did not combine it with faith. It's one thing to hear the gospel. It's another to combine it with faith. And, and Paul uses a word, and, and the writer of the book of Hebrews here comes close to saying this. Paul likes to use the word in Romans 1 and in Romans 16, this wonderful phrase, the obedience of faith. And that's kind of what he's talking about here, the obedience of faith. Obedience has always been what God has expected from his creation called humanity. God expected obedience of Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't he? Even before they were kicked out of the garden. We think, wow, wouldn't it have been nice? (laughs) To be in paradise, in Eden, with Adam and Eve. Well, yeah. But guess what? Adam and Eve still had to be obedient to God. And and what did God expect? Don't you dare eat. That tree life, it's in the middle of the garden. (laughs) So there was some... and and Also, there's another phrase that's interesting. Adam tended the garden and he kept it. Have you read that before? Uh, Adam was the original gardener. And I suspect <laughs> I suspect God may have had some instructions for uh you know Adam even in paradise. But from the very beginning, God expected obedience. Obedience tends to have a negative connotation associated with it, and that's un- unfortunate because if you think about it, obedience characterized the very heart and the very core. of Jesus' ministry, and that's what it was all about. Hebrews 5.8, one of the best verses to talk about this, talking about Jesus, although he was a son. And and in the book of Hebrews, there's so many different um, perspectives on how to understand Jesus. One of the greatest ones is He was a son. Okay, And then we're going to get this large section later on in Hebrews where Jesus is a high priest. I and mean, he really makes a big deal about that one. But notice here, although he was a son, he learned through obedience, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Oh, now that's a neat connection, isn't it? For Jesus to learn obedience through what he suffered. And I'm assuming here, if the writer of Hebrews kind of went on with some more explanation, he would have talked about Jesus submitting his will during that supper. That the very core of obedience is coming to the point where we say, God, I know what my will is, and I know what your is, and the two aren't the same, so I need your help to give up my will so I can do your will. That's obedience. And we see it in the life of Jesus. So many times he was mistreated, misunderstood. Uh, you know, he was beaten eventually, crucified. All the terrible things that Jesus suffered, but he experienced and he learned submission of his will through that. And this promise stands on gospel obedience. The good news is such good news that obedience to God's will comes lovingly and willingly. We've got to get to that point. If we're stuck and we think that obedience means you just do what God wants you to do and you do it with a sour attitude like you've been baptized in a jar of pickles and vinegar, we missed it. You know, that totally misses it. Obedience, think about this is the good news. The good news is such good news. That obedience to God's will comes lovingly and willingly. That I look and I see what God did for me. My only response is, How can I thank God for this? What else do I have to do? Just tell me. Notice that the writer of Hebrews says that you can hear the good news, but now this is the uh, sort of the astounding thing It, it was of no value. To those who heard it because there wasn't faithful obedience in response to it. So you can hear it in the gospel and it be empty and have no value. And there are a lot of people that treat it that way, unfortunately. Obedience and submission are twins of a faithful, peaceful heart before God and others. And so the practical question that I thought of here is do I understand? And do I know the good news so well that it engenders within me that obedience that is joyful that I get up in the morning. like, okay, God, I'm ready to obey you. Bring it on (laughs) with your spirit. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do your will. Help me get rid of my will. And, you know, that kind of reminds me of how Paul said, he said, I die daily. Well, Paul understood that that recommitment and God's Spirit working in you, you may, you had to make a commitment every day to make sure you're not going to give up on them. Every day you have that attitude. Also, this promise stands on God having rested. Boy, there is so much here. I'm going to watch our time because <laughs> but, um, God rested from His labors, His labors, and the idea of rest and Sabbath. appropriated here by the writer of hebrews to do two things number one there is a present rest and he may mean and there's a little bit of discussion on this that as we enter into the christian life itself that's a rest from the burden of sin or it may be it may mean that as we have lived our christian life faithfully we rest from our labors because we die And, and that's how the book of revelation uses it resting from the labor There's a future rest that is called the Sabbath rest that rests from a life of obedience and has experienced hardship and suffering. Now, when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to see that that uh, face hall of fame, we call it, men and women of faith that came to the point where they were ready to leave this life and rest. Since God is the creator who rested, it makes sense to see his people as being created for a destiny of rest. I thought that's a neat insight. God finished his creation, and he says that. God's works have been finished since the creation of the world. So God finished. He ceased from his labors. And so we have a destiny, too, to be with God. But it's going to be because we've ceased from our labors, too. We've been faithful. We've been looking forward to that um, eternal presence with God. God's works have been finished since the creation of the world. The finished creation attests to the creative imagination and the power of its maker, God. It's interesting a few times in the book of Hebrews that the writer mentions God in creation. Um, And it seems that over and over again in the New Testament, there are references to the writers want christians to know this world as you know it god made it you're worshiping the living god and perhaps there's an insight here that during life's hard times if we remember that this is god's world finished and fashioned as he designed it but awaiting a new creation and a new destiny then the idea is we can make it <laughs> isn't that great the world in all of its problems, when God created it, it's his creation. We know that when sin entered, sin entered into the world, um, Satan so kind of messed it up a little bit. It's, it's not God's original intent. But I want us to think about how that knowing this is God's world and we're serving and we're loving a God and obediently following a God who is that powerful. The promise... In Hebrews 4, he said is to be obeyed today. Notice that this obedience has an immediacy to it. You don't say to the Lord, well, Lord, I know what your will is for me, but let me check my calendar and get back with you next week. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. No. Uh, Today, if you hear his voice, hearing implies obedience today. Uh, The history of our invitation hymns, and if you go through and not only look at our hymn book, but other hymn books that we've used uh, in our churches through the years. Invitation hymns emphasize the immediacy of obedience today while you still have the time. Because we don't have a lock on tomorrow. We don't have a copyright on tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow is going to take, is going to bring. The promise also has a future aspect. There remains for the people of God. It's a promise that stands sure. It's hope for the future. It is a view of the future that is shaped by God's design. This promise comes down to the end where we can affirm with the writer. Therefore, because of this rest, resting in Christ, whether it's talking about the kind of life we live now, one one Christian writer was interesting and said, Uh, when we're resting in Christ now, if it means the Christian life and we don't have to have the burden of sin, he said, there's no such thing as shame and guilt and remorse. And he just had a whole list of things that when we are resting in Christ now, that we don't have to really worry about. But let us make every effort. And as I said earlier, there are two exhortations shaping this entire paragraph. The first one, let us... Be more careful. Let us, see, and and so here's the interesting thing. I'll give you an example. Let us be careful. Your spirit, and and I'll say this for all of you, your spiritual life is important enough, that it's important enough for me this morning to say, be careful. Be intentional how you live before the Lord. Be careful. Uh, A couple weeks ago, no, a week ago Friday, what time week ago Friday, I was tearing down something and uh, I had to get it up off of the off of the floor where it was. this was in another building um, couldn't get it up and I had to use a metal grinder to cut off the bolts that were holding that thing on the floor. Uh, one of the guys that I was with that day, uh the name is Steve Steve is one of the Oh, my goodness. He's a handyman with a capital H. I mean, if it needs to be done, I don't care what it is. He can do it. But we we're both talking about how that the metal grinder, and Nancy doesn't need to hear this, but <laughs> it is one of the most dangerous tools out there. Because a metal grinder, if you've ever used one, only has a little guard around it and the rest of it. And you hold that thing in your hand. Well, Steve, what made me do a double take, he had taken the metal guard off of his metal grinder, and all he had left was the blade spinning in the air. I went, Steve, I said, I would never do that. And he goes, yeah, you got to be careful. I said, you know what? I'm not going to touch yours. I'm going to use mine. It's still got the little guard on it. (laughs) So we understand the value. Be careful. So when the writer of Hebrews says, Let us be careful. There's some spiritual danger out there. I'm here to tell you. And and I think you have lived a Christian life long enough. You know that. Okay. And then as he ends with the next exhortation toward the end, verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort. Uh, This is a fascinating word. (laughs) Because uh, let me share with you where else it occurs in the New Testament. A look at First Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18. But we, brethren, <coughs> have been taken away from you for a short while, in person and not in spirit. We were making all the more eager effort with great desire to see your face. Now here's what I came up with, here's what this reminds me of. Think about making every effort and doing it with intentional great desire. I remarked to Nancy, Uh, a few months ago, right before we went out to Seattle to see our granddaughter. Isn't it amazing what grandchildren get you to do that otherwise you wouldn't do on your own? (laughs) And and what happens is you have that inner motivation, that inner desire, okay? And and you're willing to step out and go for it. And, And this is really the energy behind this word to make every effort with great endeavor, intention, step out with faith, he says here. 2 Peter 1.10, therefore brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. 2 Peter 3.14, therefore beloved, since you look for these things, he's talking about the heaven earth passing away, since you look forward to these things, be diligent, be careful, Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. So this means intentional, immediate, humble, faithful obedience. Man, this, I don't know about y'all, but this chapter, Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, it has some amazing insights about the Christian life, doesn't it? That that promise still stands. And it stands on ongoing, faithful, Gospel obedience that hears the good news and responds to it so that there is value. It stands on God's having rested and preparing for us a rest. And it's to be obeyed today. I had the wrong idea, I think, years ago, that when you talk about gospel faithfulness and obedience, it only refers to the time when you respond to the gospel and you're baptized. No, when you look at how it's used in the New Testament, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. The rest of your life is obedience. The rest of your life is faithful obedience, okay? And also, it has a future aspect. That rest still remains. We're looking forward to that Sabbath rest. So let us make every effort. If you need to respond this morning, To the invitation hymn, won't you come and let us know whether you need to come to Christ in initial obedience or maybe you need our prayers and our support as you make every effort to continue the journey that you started with Christ. Let's stand and sing number 673.